For more than two decades now, we've heard of the potential of technology to disrupt education and dramatically accelerate the pace of student learning. Yet studies of tech-based interventions, from one-to-one -one laptops to fully virtual courses in schools, conducted in both developed and developing countries, have proven disappointing. Have reformers overstated the promise of EdTech? Or have efforts to integrate technology into classrooms failed to capitalize on what computers do best. I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Alejandro Ganimian, assistant professor of applied psychology and economics at New York University. Along with Karthik Muralindharan and Abhijit Singh, Alejandro is the author of a remarkable new study of a blended learning program in India that appears in the April 2019 issue of the American Economic Review. You can find a blog post discussing that study on the Education Next website, and I'm very glad that Alejandro has agreed to discuss its findings with me today. Alejandro, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Thanks, Marty. Thanks for having me. So this is a fairly small study involving just 619 students in Delhi, India, but the results are really quite extraordinary, as we'll get to very soon. Let's start by talking about the specific program you all were evaluating. How was it developed and what does it look like on the ground? Sure. So the program was developed by a private company in India, um, which is also a leading assessment firm in the country. So it produces assessments. And in addition to doing that, it has developed this, um, this particular program. Um, the program is um, combining uh, two components. Um, uh, one of them is um, uh, computer-assisted learning software, and the other one is small group instruction. So students attend the program six times a week. Two of those days are devoted to math. Two of those days are devoted to Hindi. One of those days is devoted to English. And one of those days is devoted to a topic of the student's choice. Um, so as I said, the computer-assisted learning, basically what it does is it evaluates students' um, uh, to see where they are at when they start the program, and then it sort of um, dynamically adjusts to um, uh, uh, the difficulty level that the students are able to sort of to, to withstand. And then the small group instruction is mostly uh, done by a, um, a local instructor um, who doesn't typically have a teaching certification, but has been trained by educational initiatives, um, and is mostly for homework completion and for um, exam preparation. And is this a program that students are doing in their regular classroom instead of part of the school day that they would otherwise be experiencing, or is it supplemental done outside of the regular school day? Great question. So there's actually three versions of the program. One of them is done after or before school. That is a version that we evaluated. So these kids um, are going to school mostly in the morning or in the afternoon. So they attend the program whenever they're not in school. But there's also two versions of a program. One of them that is sort of um, for independent study, which is mostly catered to um, higher end um, or um, higher SES um, students. Um, and there's another version of a program that is done in school. And hopefully we'll get to talk about that one when we get to talk about scale. So like a good economist, you write that the program sought to harness four comparative advantages that technology may have when it comes to supporting student learning. What are those comparative advantages that you and your co-authors have in mind? Sure. So the first 
one, and, and I think the one that um, that many people pay attention to is the capacity of technology to deliver standardized content uh, that has been sort of iterated or developed over time, right? Just to uh, pause for a second. So in the case of MindSpark, which is this particular program that we're evaluating, you know, it's been now 10 years of iterative development by educational initiatives, which means they develop activities, they field test them, and then they sort of perfect them. Um, and then they go back again and see how they work, and then they perfect them a little bit more, right? So the first one is sort of the, the, the capacity to deliver high-quality content. The second one, and an important one uh, that maybe is not uh, as appreciated, is um, the um, the capacity of technology to identify not just common errors in students' responses to activities, but also potential misconceptions, right? So what um, Educational Initiatives does is every time that it sees that a, a specific question has had more errors than, um, than they would expect, they actually go and interview the students um, that are um, completing these activities and say, well, just, you know, walk me through why you solved the problem in this way. And they've actually discovered sort of a number of mistakes that sort of um, manifest specific misconceptions that might not be, you know, very frequent to you and me, right? Like there may be four or five percent of all the student errors, but there are things that sort of those students uh, or that software can do to redirect those students to um, to change those misconceptions, right? So the software now after these 10 years of development has sort of different paths for students depending on the misconceptions that, that they sort of uh, appear to demonstrate. The third one is um, student engagement. So I think you know the one of the most famous um, online platforms for learning is Khan Academy. Um, and Khan Academy, as you know, you know um, at least is very well known for the videos, right? The problem with the videos sometimes is that the children are not, or youth are not, sort of continually engaged with the video. So I can be in front of a video, I could be listening or hearing the video, but not really paying attention to it, right? One of the things that this um, specific software does is that it requires that students engaged um, with the uh, with, um, software all the time for it to move forward. So it's very low on videos, although it has some, mostly for instructional, um, for language development. Um, and um, rather than that, it uses activities or games or um, questions um, to get students to, to move forward. Right, and then the fourth um, advantage is is not just um, uh, customizing, I guess, the initial level of difficulty, and hopefully we'll get to talk about that when we talk about the results, but also adjusting to the pace of learning of different students. Right, so of course students might start at different levels of ability, but also they might move at different rates. Right, and so the software, this particular software, uh, is not just sort of adjusting the initial level of difficulty of a of a question. It's not just adjusting that level of difficulty to different misconceptions, as I said before, that students might have, but also is moving at different paces depending on how quickly students are mastering the material. And so you have this program, MindSpark, and you're seeking to test its efficacy. As I mentioned, you have about 600 students. They're in grades six through nine in Delhi, India schools, and you randomly assign about half of them to participate in this supplemental version of the MindSpark intervention. The control group, the remaining students, just attend their regular school uh, as would usually be the case. And so we can learn about the effectiveness of the program, at least with this group of students, just by comparing their outcomes at the end of the, the study period. What did you all find? 
Sure. Um, so there's two sets of findings, I would say. The first one is um, uh, sort of helps us understand why technology might be particularly impactful in this setting. Um, and the findings that we um, that we find in those regards have to do with sort of where students are at um, where we start the study, right? So uh, an important um, insight from the study is that given the that all the students who are enrolled in the program have to take this diagnostic test, um, we can actually see um, at what grade level they're actually performing at the start of a study, right? And one thing that we find is that students at this, in, you know, in this setting, which are, as you said, um, students in grades four through nine, perform well below grade expectations, right? So just for example, the average grade six student is 2.5 grade levels below their curricular standards for that grade in math. Um, the second important finding um, of the setting is that the gap widens during middle school, right? Not unlike the U.S. or other developed countries. So uh, by grade nine, that very same sixth grader that I was telling you about is now 4.5 grade levels below um, uh, his or her curricular standards in math. And thirdly, um, also an, an important descriptive finding is that performance varies widely within each grade. And I, I do mean widely. So um, it, it performance in, say, grade six spans all the way from grade one to grade six. That means there are students enrolled in a grade six classroom or performing at a grade one level. And there are very, you know, there are other students in that very same classroom that are performing at the curricular expected grade level. Right. So those are the findings that have to do with um, with, the, you know, how much students are actually um, uh, learning in school, which is which is not much. And so these are findings, just to be clear, that you had yeah. on day one of the study when students were taking Correct. the diagnostic assessment. So far, we haven't learned anything or you haven't told us anything about how the MindSpark software changes that picture. But this is important for understanding the context in which the intervention is being delivered. Correct. And, and another point um, about the sort of the setting that I think is important to make is, you know, if we uh, use that um, that information from a diagnostic um, assessment, um, which, as you said, is administered on day one, to see how the um, how much students progress over the 4.5 months um, that the study lasted, and we um, focus on the lowest performing students. These are the students performing on the um, bottom third of a achievement distribution right at the start of the study, so before any program has been implemented. Those students over those 4.5 months make near zero progress in both math and Hindi in their regular public school. So, you know, going back to, I guess, your opening question, which is why do we think that technology has not um, sort of benefited um, students in, in other settings and why we um, might be surprised that it did in, in this case, it's important to note, you know, sort of not just sort of the wide um, distribution of achievement within each grade in, say, regions like South Asia or Sub-Saharan Africa, but also to understand that some students are so far behind their curricular expectations that there is absolutely no way that they can sort of benefit from regular instruction every day in school, not because the teachers are good or bad or um, anything other than students don't even have the requisite knowledge to actually understand what they're being taught in school every day. They're very, very um, much behind their, their peers. So yes, yeah, so that's um, sort of the description of the context. But in terms of the program effects, we found some remarkable effects, as you were pointing out at the beginning of our conversation. So the just the offer of the program um, increased achievement by two times 
what would be business as usual improvement in math and 2.5 times what would be business as usual improvement in, in Hindi. And let me just state that again, it's only over 4.5 months, right? So half a school year. Um, secondly, and importantly, the program benefited students at all parts of the achievement distribution by a similar amount. So it doesn't matter whether you were a low-performing, middle-performing, or high-performing student, you benefited by, by uh, roughly the same amount. We found that it benefited um, female and male students. Similarly, we found that it benefited low and high socioeconomic status um, students um, similarly. However, Given that the lowest performing students were getting so little from regular instruction in school, you know, in relative terms, it was actually much more beneficial for them, right? Because they would have made zero progress otherwise. So you said that students participating in the MindSpark intervention essentially made twice as much progress over this four and a half to five month period as students in the business as usual control group. How does the magnitude of that impact compare to other interventions in India or elsewhere that have been shown to benefit students? Sure. So, you know, uh, one benchmark that we um, use in the paper is we compare it to a paper performance program that um, one of my co-authors, Karthik Moraladharan, has evaluated in the state of Andhra Pradesh in India. Um, and he found, you know, test score gains of about uh, 0.54 standard deviations in, in math and 0.35 in, in language after five years. Right. Um, so the uh, standard deviation improvement um, that we're finding in this program after only 4.5 months is about 0.36 standard deviations in math and 0.22 standard deviations in Hindi. So quite a sizable improvement when compared to what we believe to be the sort of the most effective um, uh, uh, intervention that has been evaluated in, 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 in a similar setting. Right. So quite important in terms of compared to, to, to other interventions. Um, another benchmark that we use is we compare it to um, a tuition program. So um, if you know this, um, South Asia, um, well, you will know that um, private tuition is quite common, even among low socioeconomic students. Um, and coincidentally, really, um, there was a simultaneous evaluation um, of a private tuition uh, program being done in Delhi with a similar sample of students. So there were also middle school students. The program charged a similar fee. So regularly, our, uh, the MindSpark program would charge a $3 per student um, per month uh, fee. Um, and this was also the case in this private tuition program. Um, however, and importantly, um, uh, given the issues that we discussed, that tuition program focused on sort of um, grade-based material, right, as opposed to the MindSpark program, which was basically catering to students' specific needs. And, you know, that, that program found no impact whatsoever um, um, over the, the entire school year, while ours actually um, found uh, the, the impacts that we discussed. So both when compared to, you know, some of the most effective interventions that have been evaluated in India and also when compared with sort of um, other sort of very plausible alternative use of students' time, this, this intervention compares very favorably. So the effects are quite large. As I mentioned, though, the study itself is quite small. You describe uh -huh. it in the blog post as a, a proof of concept or a, mm -hmm. an efficacy trial. So what's the next step in this research agenda of trying to demonstrate, or I guess, better put, test the effectiveness of this approach to benefiting large numbers of students? Sure. 
So both of my co-authors, Karthik Morelajan and uh, Abhijit Singh, um, have been working with um, the state government of Rajasthan, uh, which is the largest ter- state in terms of territory in, in, in India, um, to integrate the Mindfart program into the school day. Right. So instead of um, students going to the Mindfart program after or before school, what would happen is um, during the school week, um, the teachers would set aside two or uh, one or two hours in math, one or two hours in Hindi to actually take students to the computer lab so that they can sort of interact with the software. The interesting part about that experiment is that, you know, it's actually capitalizing on um, multiple years of um, of India investing in upgrading school infrastructure. Um, specifically, this program is being evaluated in a set of schools called model schools in, in Rajasthan, where the government has made more um, sort of than, than the uh, typical uh, investments in, in upgrading um, school technology, right? Um, so um, this is, I, I think, the first year of the evaluation has concluded, and we're looking forward to to seeing the final results soon but we are seeing effects that are or they are seeing effects that are commensurate to um, sort of the time of exposure of these students to the software which as you might imagine is a lot lower because you know the students are not there for for 90 minutes as they were in our efficacy trial um, and um, after starting that evaluation in Rajasthan now um, uh, Abhijit and Karthik are, are evaluating the program also in, in Telangana which is um, a southern state in, in India. So our idea is that having sort of proven or having found um, this uh, high impact of a program, now the next stage is to understand how to make it work within the school system, how to integrate it into the regular school day um, so that it actually serves as a complement to teaching, um, to regular teaching, right? Now, you started out discussing the results by highlighting several aspects of the context that might be reasons why technology of this kind would be particularly effective in this setting. Uh, You know, this is a study that was conducted in India, obviously a very high quality study uh, and would seem to have great relevance to efforts to integrate technology into education in that setting. Uh, I've heard one of your co-authors be very pointed about the fact that he's not going to apologize for only having results that are relevant to 1.4 billion people uh, in the nation of India. At the same time, many of the listeners to this podcast are primarily interested in improving student outcomes in developed countries such as the United States. So for a, a listener who has that perspective, what do you think are the main takeaways from this line of research for, the, for those primarily interested in the U.S.? Sure. I think it's an excellent question. So I, I think, let me begin by saying, I, um, I want to highlight the fact that I think that the, the reason why this intervention proved to be so effective in the setting where we evaluated it is because it combined both a need for um, a solution that caters to heterogeneity in student preparation. That means many students in the same classroom, all of them starting with different levels. Um, And that happened because of the massive expansions that have been happening in in developing countries for the past uh, few decades in terms of um, schooling. And because it capitalizes, because the specific um, software capitalizes on the comparative advantage of the technology that we were mentioning before. So the fact that you can customize the material, the fact that you can identify student errors and try to understand the underlying misconceptions, the fact that you can engage them, the fact that, um, that you can uh, deliver high-quality content. 
right? So in a way, it sort of needs meet um, solution, right? Um, so for those um, listeners of yours that are not um, focused on on develop, developing countries, uh, what I would recommend is we have actually conducted a pretty extensive review of prior studies in both developed and developing countries, which is a full appendix of the paper, uh, which we spent a lot of time on. So anyone interested, I'm, I'm making a plug for it. Um, you know, it, it, one takeaway that we that we clearly see from those studies is that Many of prior um, initiatives in, in technology and education have focused on providing schools with um, infrastructure, right? So either computers or laptops for, for children or for youth. And that has either had sort of a zero effect or actually sometimes a negative effect because it distracts kids from, from, from um, their school activities, right? Another set of studies has focused on evaluating software that on the face of it looks a lot like the MySpark software that we evaluate, right? So they're also allegedly computer adaptive. They're also um, software that um, teachers integrate into the classroom. However, when you look closely at those um, software products, they don't really adjust dynamically to um, uh, students' ability to respond to questions. They don't really give students any feedback um, when they get a question incorrect. Or if they give students feedback, they don't give the you know two students with different misconceptions different types of feedback. Um, they are also typically used to review material that was covered in the class. So as I said before, if you're five or six grade levels behind, the fact that a software is helping you review the material for that week is not going to be incredibly helpful to you. So those um, software products have had small to moderate effects um, in terms of um, student achievement, right? So again, I, I think that um, the MindSpark evaluation points us in the direction where I think we should be going um, in terms of uh, education technology and evaluating education technology products, right? Which is to understand in which context it is important um, uh, to cater to heterogeneity student preparation of varying levels of student preparation, and what are the parts of technology that we can leverage or the competitive advantages of technology that we can leverage to actually meet that need. Um, so in this particular context, um, need meets solution, but, but, but I think in, in developed countries, it might be um, other questions such as like challenging the high-performing students or different um, students who learn um, different subjects in different ways, right? So even in New York City here uh, where I teach, there are um, institutions such as the School of One that have a similar approach, even though if the details are very, very different. So I don't I, I, I think we should be just focusing more on what we need in a school system and what we think um, technology is uniquely positioned to provide. My guest today has been Alejandro Ganimian, Assistant Professor of Applied Psychology and Economics at New York University and co-author of In Delhi Experiment, Software Sparks Success, available now at educationnext.org. Alejandro, congratulations on the study and thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you again for having me, Marty. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. While you're there, be sure to check out our archive and, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.